0: For our New Testament lesson this morning, turn with me to Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 5, and I'll read the first 17 verses. This is the word of God. Therefore be imitators of God, as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper for among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that any, everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, making the best use of the time, for the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let us pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this good word, and we pray you bless us now as we attend to it with care that we might understand the high calling we have in Christ Jesus and to thoughtfully and with heartfelt gratitude for such a calling to embrace it and live it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. From verses 15 and 16, over the last few weeks, we've been considering this truth. In Christ I am called to regularly and carefully examine my life so that I might display art, skill in the art of godly living, particularly in the profitable use of my time in an otherwise unprofitable age. Paul has instructed us to look carefully how you walk, not as wise, but as unwise, but as wise. And we looked at this first verse with some care, recognizing that this is our calling to so examine our lives that we display skill in the art of godly living. How you walk, that stands for your way of life, who you are, where you're going, on what path, and how you're progressing. As wise, those who are skilled in the gift of living unto Jesus and were to look carefully, Careful examination that who and what you are in Christ would be evident in the way you live. Then last week we looked at making the best use of the time. And in the spirit of reduced Shakespeare, I have put in your bulletin this morning a reduced sermon from last time for a reminder. We wanted to look at our time in an unprofitable age. And to do so, we considered that Paul wants to motivate us by understanding the time. The days are evil. Now, strictly speaking, of course, days can't be evil, we showed. Only persons. And we further argued that the word here, days, refers to the age as a whole, not any particular days. And to understand this, We reminded ourselves that God, the creator of heaven and earth, is sovereign over all time. As sovereign over all time, he's the ruler of history. But then there's a perplexity that follows. If this is an evil day, how do we account for that with God as the ruler of all things? And the resolution, the psalmist taught us in 37, is that time is passing for the evil day. And a promised better day is coming. And so we should fret not and trust in the Lord. The long-promised hope is the coming of Jesus himself, fulfilling all the promises of God. And the future, with all its variation and uncertainty, is in the hands of the one who redeemed us and now rules over us. We sang last time, crown him the Lord of years, the potentate of time. And so we live now in a time between the times. By our Lord's appointment, we live in the last days, and the church has been in the last days since Christ ascended to heaven. Knowledge of this, according to the Apostle Paul, is to make us diligent in the use of our time. This means that in a sense, we no longer belong to this time, we belong to the age to come. And so when we thought about time, we realized that though it can mean simple chronology, here the force of it is more with respect to opportunity, that our times are opportunities given us by Christ. We compared the idea of cyclical time, which is so dominant in unbelieving thought, and linear, progressive time, that's the wonderful gift of the scriptures to the world. Not an endless, repetitive cycle, not a blind and inexorable fate, but rather purposeful action from God himself advancing the course of human history. Our days in this age are given to us by Christ to be employed for his glory and for our good. And then we reflected a little on the value of time. We saw that time is precious because eternity depends on its use. It's precious because it's very short. It's precious because of the uncertainty of how long our time will last. And that it's precious because we are accountable to the Lord for our use of our time as his gift. Now this morning, then, we conclude our examination of Paul's teaching in this text. And what I want us to do is to look carefully at two parts of verse 16. We're called there to make the best use of our time. And we want to think together about what we mean by the word best. What is a best use of your time? And then secondly, we want to think together about what it would be to make the best use of our time. Is this some kind of construction project that we're engaged in? So then, what does the best use amount to? And the answer is, to begin with, not some abstract sense of best, some pinnacle of perfection. Not one size fits all. Recall Paul's teaching in the various parts of the fourth and fifth chapter. Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You should walk in love as Christ loved us. You are light. Walk as children of the light. In some, walking according to our calling, not as Gentiles, but in love and as light. Not narrowly construed, not constricted, not confined to only religious activities. Here it's as wide as the world that God has put us in and the callings that he has appointed for us. Wisdom sees a wonderful variety in that calling. Paul sums it up in 5.9. The fruit of the light, he says, is all that's good, all that's right, all that's true. This is the wisdom of the ages, as we saw in our Old Testament reading from Ecclesiastes. There's an appointed time for everything. Our God is a God of appointed times, seasons, ages. The best use of the time means not so much what you are doing as how you are doing it. The point is that all time, whether in labor, recreation, or worship, must be well-used time. It must be profitable for Christ and his kingdom and your place in it. Now, making the most is just another way of speaking about the walking that Paul had in view, the walking of the wise. Making the most of the time means that in my use of time, I consider right now that I am a person with a right heart regard for my Heavenly Father. That is His gift. In that right heart regard, then I am seeking to manifest in my time the image of His Son to appear in the world in my Christ-like character, and as such, to then in general seek to do good for others, particularly in the labor of my callings, the things that the Lord has appointed me for, the things he has given me to do, with the web of my gifts in relationships and responsibilities that make up my life. Demonstrating here a discerning choice as to the best means to the ends that I'm pursuing. And through careful observation and reflection upon experience, including my mistakes, and the willing reception of traditional instruction it means that in this making the best use i'm wary of the pitfalls of this evil day while i'm looking forward in hope to the time to come to as paul puts it the days of refreshing from the presence of the lord we can sum this up in a sentence I am making the best use of my time in this age for the glory and enjoyment of my Heavenly Father with a Christ-like character, seeking the good of others, laboring at my callings, choosing the best means to accomplish my task, learning from experience as I go, looking forward to the day of a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is the beauty of what it means to you: make the best use of your time. And recall that this also includes bad times. Bad times we can make the best use of. Bad times provide an opportunity as well. Failure is an opportunity to learn from our mistakes. Falling into temptation is an opportunity to learn afresh the power of sin and to learn to be careful and wary of its enticements. These are fruitful for the work of sanctification. And this is the marvel. It's why you recall that uh, Jonathan Edwards felt it was appropriate to call Satan the greatest blockhead in human history. Now, he didn't mean that Satan was unintelligent. The being is just spectacular in its natural gifts. But he meant this, there was so much malevolence in his heart that he could never learn from experience. Why? Because every design he has had for evil, by God's providence, has worked for the good of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ that means every success he has had in your life has been for the glory of christ and the good of his kingdom because you can learn from experience you can examine yourself and learn to be wary or learn to get help in times of need or learn how to fortify yourself for the days ahead Those defeats are all being used by Jesus to bring you in repentance to a stronger place than before the defeat. You'd think Satan would just give up, realizing that all his malevolence is going for the good of Christ's people and the glory of his kingdom. And thus, this way of life is crucial to our witness. Notice this, Paul writing in the Ephesian letter uh, parallels his thought in many places in the Colossians letter, but with a slightly different twist. Our verse has this character in 5, 15, and 16. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Now here's the version in Colossians 4, 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Do you see, this way of life, this evidencing the new and true humanity of the gospel that uh, that the gospel of Christ brings into the world, this is a powerful witness to outsiders and, in fact, should properly be enticing because it sets forth a humanity, a new humanity, that's wonderful to behold. Well, the best use of the time. Now, the making of it. This is a work to do. This making is a call to conflict. To make the best use of the time means that we have to put out real effort to order our time because it will be ordered by the world. It will be ordered by malevolent forces. It will be ordered by mere happenstance and circumstance if it's not ordered by you. This is a call to conflict with the way of the world. As Paul has said in Ephesians four seventeen and following, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. This is due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and they have given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Darkness, they can't see what time it is. Alienated, estranged from the divine energy for life. Hard-hearted toward the good and governed by sensuality. These spend their time in idleness, the sin of omission, idle talk. These spend their time in wickedness, the sin of commission. Here, not working hard to make the best of their opportunities, but actually working to make the worst of them and to increase their eternal misery. Those who spend time in this worldly pursuits as an end in themselves, driven by lust, are neglecting their own souls. How hard it is, people say, to consider the spiritual life and to make room for it in my life and to think about things that belong to eternity and yet how easy it is to take our families to lessons and teams, to have programs to watch and games to play and to crowd out what is essential to the soul. Hear again from our Lord's Apostle in Romans 13. You know the time that the hour has come for you to awake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we had first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. And so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Do you see, even the parts of life that are otherwise good, if they are allowed to reign over our times without thoughtful care, without us examining ourselves and bringing them before our calling in Christ, these good things can disorder our times. We become ruled by passing winds and momentary desires. We become ruled by the responsibilities of work, the needs of the family, the interests that you have outside of these things for recreation and entertainment, all things that can be part of a wholesome and good life, but if made an end in itself and the ruler of your time are corrupting. In our Wednesday evening study, we've been looking at J. Gresham Machen's book, Christianity and Liberalism. And in it, at an interesting point, he noted that modern liberalism is a form of paganism. And he said, I don't use the word pagan here as an insult. I'm using it, in fact, historically. Because paganism is the view of life which finds the highest goal of human existence in the healthy and harmonious and joyous development of all existing human faculties. Now, you see, that's a worthy goal in itself. The highest development and enjoyment of all human faculties. A worthy goal. But if it reigns, it is unworthy, utterly unworthy of the human created in the image of God. In fact, it is finally corrupting and destructive of our humanity. As Calvin put it, we must be eager to recover time in every possible way and let the numerous offenses and arduous toil, which many are in the habit of offering for doing nothing, serve rather for us to awaken our vigilance. To these things this making is a call to conflict this making is a daily calling look carefully how you walk every day is a day in an evil day of such a character as it requires care daily forward looking rejecting the bondage of a longing for a better time, a nostalgia for a past that can never be. The Apostle Paul exhorted us here in chapter 3 of Philippians at verse 13, This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on the goal toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This making is a comprehensive calling. Notice Paul's strategy. He uses his time well in giving instructions. He's been calling them to particular goods, to avoid particular evils. But now Paul is saying, look, if you use your time well, you won't have time for all those things that you are to avoid. sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness. Here he trumps it all by this general consideration. Make the best use of your time and there'll be no time for these things. All this effort, of course, must be in view and in humble submission of, to, excuse me, all of this must be in view of and in, in humble submission to God's providence. Recall the rebuke of James in chapter 4, verse 13. He says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are but a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Well, there we have it. The making, the best use of our time. And what we have in view when we think of the best use. Now let me offer some words of counsel and exhortation. First, if there are any here today who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, let me warn you, your time grows short. And you have already wasted much of your life pursuing what the Bible calls a way of darkness and a way of foolishness. And yet there is hope. There is hope because now is the acceptable time. Time to repent, believe in Christ, the Lord of this age and the age to come. If not, There's perishing. Perishing under a time of the wrath of his judgment. Don't waste the time. Now, children. Children, for the most part, you have much time to account for. All things being equal, a life ahead of you. And notice this. The Bible's rule is, to whom much is given... Much is required. You have not yet wasted your time. Take up the work while you're young to be determined to use your time wisely. Count it precious and develop the habits that will lead you from your youth to old age to a profitable use of your time. This means in particular you need to learn the way of wisdom, the way of wisdom set forth in the word of God, and to look to Jesus in faith and obedience, seeking his help and strength in the use of your time. Beware of those who would lead you from that path to waste the time that God would give you. The world you live in, in fact, the world you live in, in fact, seems particularly contrived to lead you to such folly. Time wasting opportunities at every hand. Look to the Lord. Look to his wisdom. Learn the wisdom of the wise and so live. Now, for all of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ, we ought to examine ourselves. And to resolve to examine your use of time in particular. How does your best use of time look different from your worldly neighbors? Would an outside observer be able to tell the difference? Surely there must be one. Give thanks to the Lord where grace has shown its power to order your life. Repent when you discover sin in the matter. And be freed from the burden of that guilt, of that guilt. Get on with the work that Christ has called you to do in the time you have remaining. Be persuaded of this. Making the best use of your time is the greatest investment in the world. For such time is transformed by Christ into a blessed eternity. It is profitable. The virtue of diligence is testified to again and again in the Proverbs. At 1227, for example, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. This is true both for the things of the world and for the things of the world to come. Listen to this remarkable testimony from Thomas Brooks, the Puritan pastor in his book, Heaven on Earth, a serious discourse concerning well-grounded assurance. Brooks put it this way, ah, doubting Christians. Remember this, that the promise of assurance and comfort is made over not to lazy but laborious Christians, not to idle but to active Christians, not to the negligent but to the diligent Christian. The lazy Christian hath his mouth full of complaints, while the active Christian has his heart full of comforts. Citing Romans 12.11, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Brooks urges believers to take this up, noting that the word fervent in that text means literally to boil in the Spirit. Are you boiling in the Spirit on behalf of your Savior? Time now bears something of the curse. Passing of time can be tedious, draining. But well used, our moments can even transcend these limitations. Can't you recall a time when you were working and fully engaged in the project, so much so that you had no notice or experience of time while it was taking place? This can be realized in faithful obedience to Christ. Surely it is worth learning how to live this heavenly life, ordering your times according to the will of the Lord. Well, that word order, that has appeared again and again in our conversation. And of course, the Bible is zealous for order. All things should be done in order, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul rejoiced in the Colossians to see their good order in chapter 2. The Greek word here is taxis, from which we get our English word taxonomy, the science of classifying things. This taxis, this order, is absolutely essential to the profitable use of time. I had a great bin where I would put screws that I'd taken out to use for another project and just toss them in. Tapping screws, machine screws, wood screws, self-drilling screws, sheetrock screws, all in a big bin. Every time I needed a particular screw, I had to go through and sort them out. Where is the right one? Over and over again. But then I thought, If I put all the taping screws in one bin, the wood screws in another, then I walk in, take no time at all, and pick up the screw I need, which is more profitable in the long run. It's easy to see. So too, dear to my own heart, my books. I could have them in piles all over the place. Or I could have them carefully organized so that when I need the book, I can reach directly to where I know it will be. A more profitable use of the gift of my books. Order your time, or it will be ordered for you, and not according to your principles of organization. This is our calling. This is the promise of God to us. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times, you may abound in every good work, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. This is part of looking carefully how you walk. With this call in mind, we will be able to find the time to do what he wills. My mother's aphorism that I heard from the time I could first understand, where there's a will, there's a way. Theologically modified, where there's a will, where there's the will of God, there is a way. Well, I've offered you a summary of all of this, as it was found in some of the great Christians of the age past, the Puritans, from J.R. Packer's wonderful book, uh, entitled The Puritan Vision of the Christian Life. I hope you'll take some time to read that when you go home today and uh, consider the powerful description of this people and the way they ordered their lives. Some of you live at random and hazard, hot hazard, constantly intending to put your life in order someday and never getting around to it. We need to have a passion to please God that expresses itself, as Packer puts it, in an ardor for order, a well thought out flow of activities in which all obligations are recognized and met. It's not just a love for order, say fastidiousness or some pathological quirk. But it's a love for order rooted in a desire to please the God of order who called you to such a passion. An ordered life, then, is offered to him as a sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise. Commit yourself anew this day. In the spirit of Jonathan Edwards, who as a young man made resolutions for himself concerning at his time, He said, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way that I can. And the one that I love, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. Resolved today, seek a pattern of living that by shrewd and disciplined use of time, a time be found for everything that matters for all that the lord has given you to do for his glory and the good of his church let us pray together father this is a wonderful way of life one that we can aspire to but would be clearly beyond our reach of ourselves and yet you have granted us grace that we might not only aspire but learn to live and measure in the time that you've given us in a way that bears such fruit. Grant us this, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.